Perform this on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. If you've listened before, thanks for coming back. If you're looking for that voice of freedom, of liberty, an American Muslim voice who is unafraid to take on the Islamists, to take on the recognition, the honest admission that we need reform, that there are issues that we can address week to week on the front lines of this battle for modernity, battle for freedom, and a battle against what I think is the greatest threat in the 21st century, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, radical Islam and its underbelly of political Islam, Islamism. Last week, we talked about the cultural interface between certain elements in society that we think are unrelated to the political punditry, the political uh, gamesmanship of ideology, counterterrorism, national security, politics, law, and then we have culture, music, art, entertainment, sports, boxing, UFC, and we keep those things separate. Often sports is the great uniter. Well, last week I talked to you about the story behind the story about the biggest fight in UFC history, UFC 229, the battle between Conor McGregor and his opponent, the Muslim Khabib Nurmagomedov, the Chechenian, with his controversial publicist, with his controversial handler, Ali Abdelaziz, and we talked about some of that controversy. The match happened. We'll do a little follow-up today. And then we're going to talk about the disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi. What happened to Jamal Khashoggi? Columnist, activist, journalist, as he's described, wrote for many publications. We'll talk about who he wrote for, what he wrote for, a Saudi national living in Washington who walked into a Saudi embassy in Turkey in Istanbul and never came out. They're saying he was assassinated. Why does that matter to Islamic reform? Should it matter? Who was he? You'll get the answers here and the talk here, conversation that you're just not getting in what was should have surprised folks as a, a, a one of the most widely covered disappearances and assassinations of Muslims in, in decades. So we'll talk about all the controversies of that in today's program on Reform This. First, what happened at UFC 229? Conor McGregor fights Khabib Nurmagomedov, and Khabib wins. And yet, the chaos, the mayhem that broke out afterwards prevented them from even presenting the belt to Khabib. And I'll tell you, as a Muslim, as somebody who's against Islamism, who believes there's a role for those with millions of followers, as I mentioned last week, the the uh, Ariana Grandes of the world who came face-to-face with radical Islam, saw their fans killed and bombed by ISIS, the Conor McGregors of the world who called his counterpart, Handler, 
Ali Abdelaziz, he called him a terrorist snitch in a major press conference and got coverage to a topic that was being ignored, except by experts and pundits like Ryan Morrow at the Clarion Project, who had already been covering for years at Fukra Files, F-U-Q-R-A-F-I-L-E-S, Fukra Files, the connection of this Islamist cult and their imam out of Pakistan of Jumat al-Fukra, a group that is in English called the Muslims of America. And they had worked with the Sheikh Jalani. And the, you can look up the history, go to fukrafiles.com. But bottom line is, is this all of a sudden, as Khabib got to prime time, undefeated, remain undefeated, and it wasn't just his connections to Fukra. It wasn't just his connections to Sheikh Jalani. Was he an FBI agent? Was he a double agent? That's all sort of the the story way under the real story. The real story is his connections to a radical Islamist thug dictator in Chechnya. It's just the bottom line is is President Katerov of Chechnya has been not only proven, he was interviewed at Real Sports on HBO. Last summer on Brian Gumbel's program on HBO, he was interviewed by one of his uh, uh, colleagues who spent 40 minutes or so, and I think the program was 20, 30 minutes of, of aired interview. You could see more online, in which this radical... And, and his internal laws in Chechnya are radicalizing to the point that Chechnya is one of the world's strongest producers of radical Islamic terrorists on the planet, feeding a good portion of the number of ISIS fighters that cross the border from Russia into, Chech- into Syria, from Chechnya down into Syria, allowed in order to fuel the Assadist penchant that their enemy was strong, and as it fueled a stronger enemy and allowed the genocidal approach against the Syrian people who were the real threat not ISIS or the Chechnyan terrorists that came through but the moderates that may not have been a majority but they existed that were the real existential threat to Assad so this radical tyrant Katarov was dis- finally agreed to an interview last year in which during that interview he showed that he had a hobby which was UFC. The UFC didn't seem to care that he ran a dictatorship and that he ultimately um, did not share any of those values of the West and of the entertainment industry that he supposedly followed. And during the interview he said, People who are accusing his regime of torturing and killing gays are devils because he says it can't be true because we don't have these kinds of people here. Sounds like Ahmadinejad. Sounds like Khomeini. Even if our government were completely destroyed, our nuclear missiles would be automatically deployed. We will put the whole world on its knees and screw it from behind. That's what he said. And this guy is producing UFC fighters because that's his hobby. He himself, during the interview, talked about loving the fight, the battle. And I raise all of this because this guy, Khabib, is a byproduct of that regime. And in the Olympics, I get it. It's sort of a time in which the world has ruled that despite 
political disagreements. We will go have an Olympics in a tyranny like China or Russia or any other dictatorship versus just in the free world because sports is a great equalizer. I get it. But you start now looking for the hashtag on Khabib and you will find millions of Muslims. If you look for the hashtag on Khabib, you will find millions of Muslims who say we should support him. He should get his money that was being held back now since his victory last week because he is Muslim. The people holding back his money are anti-Muslim. The people who are celebrating Conor McGregor, even though he lost, are anti-Muslim. Forget the fact that his sugar daddy dictator who created him is in bed with Putin who propped up Assad and is one of the primary reasons Assad continues to be able to execute genocide against the Syrian people. Forget the fact that the values are so draconian in the Chechnyan government that it should embarrass any human being, let alone Muslims spreading the hashtag of Khabib. And it highlights, it highlights the bottom line of Islamism. Islamism is about the fact that because we are Muslims, we should be on the same team. And if you are not Muslim, you're anti-Muslim. So Islamism might be sort of this oh intellectual exercise about Sharia state, about uh, all the details of the imams who are the underbelly jurists. Yes, that's, a, that's the oxygen of it. But at the end of the day, as Andrew Breitbart said, politics is downstream of culture and the upstream culture that produces the states that are radical islamic states is the ideology we see pushed by millions of muslims in the west on khabib khabib was being cheered here's an icon of draconian evil who beat conor mcgregor and conor's no poster child for compassion through a chair or whatever he threw into a bus destroying it just months ago and got a slap on the wrist from what i heard but at the end of the day yeah ufc is not made for angels is not made for polite debate you look back muhammad ali himself who is is a hero to most american muslims that you talk to I've been chastised and called an anti-Muslim activist because I was critical of the of the method of Muhammad Ali's self-declaration of narcissistic greatness. I was criticized because I criti- because uh, I was had the temerity to call out Muhammad Ali's legacy of using his religion not to serve in the U.S. military. And yes, he was backed up by the Supreme Court. But that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it something that I should celebrate as an American Muslim. So this is what happens, is that icons become icons. They become heroes by virtue of victory in the ring that they're put into, not based on their character, not based on what produced them, not based on the ideologies that they present. What is Khabib's ideology about Islamic State about 
Islamist ideas about the West. What is, it matters. What is his position about the team he's on? And the social media was a fire. So if you want to see how we're losing the war against Islamism, for every mind you or I might change when we argue the irrationality of Islamic law, the inequality of of current treatment of women when you sit down and argue it on CNN or MSNBC or Fox or PBS or at an academic panel at a university. Millions more get swayed into simply following a Muslim because he's in one of the world's most popular now fighting matches. How do you beat that? That team that he wants to be on. Team Islam, that is a apple that hasn't fallen too far from the radical Islamic militant dictatorship of Kadarov in Chechnya. Shireen Kudosi had a great piece at Clarion Project in which she called it honor violence. He was holding up the honor of Muslims and the Muslims on social media followed his honor, whatever it was. He defended them against Conor McGregor, the white guy from the West. Everything's racialized. Everything's about identity. That's what Islamism is. And until we, as liberals, as secularists, as Muslim reformers, take back our religion and believe that we can identify primarily with our country and practice our faith more freely in that setting, a true Orthodox faith, close to God, but free of identity as a tribe, the tribe of Khabib, the tribe of Kadarov, the tribe of King Salman, the tribe of Erdogan, the tribe of Hamas. Until we separate ourselves from that tribe, we will never win this war. For there are millions of Khabib followers for every few hundred folks that are willing to take on ideologically Islamism. So, yes, you need the intellectual battle against the Islamists. You, we need to be able to begin to have the war against them in the, uh, in the war of ideas. But we're not going to win it overnight. But politics is downstream of culture. We need to figure out how to get in that ring. Conor McGregor brought up the terrorist snitch stuff, etc. How do we get the guy who beats Khabib to be another Muslim that holds honor higher because of an American flag? like Iraqi, like so many other icons that are pro-American, pro-freedom, and anti-Islamist. That's the key. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Let me just punctuate one thing about the UFC fight. At the end of the day, everything is often has an undercurrent that's a little more complicated than simply the sport. There's the commentary, there's the analysis, there's the kneeling on the fields and all these kind of things. So give me a break if you're trying to say, oh, we're reading, I'm reading too much into a UFC, which is a bare knuckles, basically, brawl, which... As a physician, many should say that I shouldn't even be talking about because it uh, is a travesty that two human beings would pummel their heads the way that happens. 
bottom line is this culture. And we need to have a position on what's happening in the cultural battle. And this is a cultural war. And the Islamists, the radicals, the Islamic dictators understand how to get into that war, just like the Soviets understood that if they could master the Olympics, it would create a sense of inferiority in the West. And that's why they dumped so much drugs and money and pressure upon their gymnasts and other competitors. So when an Islamist dictator, who's also in the pocket of Putin, dumps a ton of resources into Kabir, you'd think that American Muslims would see through that, but they haven't. So Islamism is a consciousness. It's a sense of belonging that your primary allegiance, your primary love, your passion is for the Muslim tribe. That's Islamism. I don't care if most of the Muslims don't understand what political Islam is, what the brotherhood is. They would, would never even be associated with a, a Muslim political party. But if they find themselves advocating, if they find themselves advocating for somebody just because, oh, a Muslim has won, he's beat the white guy who was trashing him because his name was Muslim and he was calling him a terrorist snitch. There was a deeper story behind that, and yet the West didn't clinch on. We should have taken this story and used it as a barometer to tell which Muslims actually are using these cultural tests as a moment of reform, as a moment of saying, you know what? We are Westerners first. I don't care about how corrupt they behave or whatever it is. I will not simply bond to a fighter because he's Muslim, especially when he's the byproduct of a radical regime that invokes anti-Western, anti-civil rights, anti-human rights, anti-women, uh, pro-misogynist, anti-gay laws. But no, hashtag Kabir became a calling card for Muslims to stand together all over the internet. And that should raise some ire about where we are in the cultural war today. Let's talk about the other front lines. Jamal Khashoggi was a writer for Al Arabiya, a Saudi newspaper, a writer for multiple online publications. And upon his disappearance, though I had never really noticed his writing in the Washington Post, uh, the Washington Post made it clear that he was one of their writers of the global opinions columns that had disappeared. And all of a sudden, everybody seemed to pay attention to the disappearance of a columnist, of a writer, of an activist. Some called him a journalist. And this is the way Middle Eastern dictators do business. Somebody gets in their way, they remove them. Now, we don't know the story yet. The details have not come out. All we know is so far it appears, based on camera footage and others, that for whatever reason, Khashoggi, who had been safe in America, decided to go to Turkey. He was 
set to be married or already had been married. I can't remember. I don't know the exact social details between he and his wife or wife-to-be, but he had gone to the Turkish consulate and she was Turkish. The Saudi consulate in Turkey, maybe to obtain permission to wed his wife. I don't know. But then he never came out. And all of a sudden, the Turkish government started to release tons of information. They released data, information about, and this is, remember, who's the Turkish government? Erdogan, the AKP, the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey. And they basically laid out that this was a Saudi assassination that they called out of a film of Pulp Fiction. They said that he was taken in and probably killed within two hours and then dismembered and removed from the Saudi embassy in different bags and pieces that nobody could ever notice. Sounds like something out of some espionage horror movie. They even said of the 15 people they identified, one of them was an autopsy expert that would know how to do such things. And then they further reported that the, and this now was from some American intercept information that the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman himself personally ordered an effort to lure the Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi back to his home country. This was according to U.S. intelligence that the Washington Post revealed a few days ago. It directly implicated the Crown Prince and Turkish authorities said they believed that Khashoggi had been a former insider who grew increasingly critical of the Saudi royal family, was killed inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, and his body removed from the premises. Now, I'm not apt to believe anything coming out of the Turkish government. They did identify a team of 15 that came and went into Istanbul of Saudis that prepared the lure to bring him from America and ultimately tricked him into coming in. The Western media then, and this is, I think, the part that becomes interesting, is the bottom line is, is whoever Khashoggi was, whatever he did, he's now the premier victim. He is obviously a victim of a tyrannical regime Whoever decided to have him killed, was it rogue entities? Was it actually from MBS, Mohammed bin Salman? Um, they may try to distance themselves by saying it was a rogue element in his regime and then provide some sacrificial identified member to take the, bit, take the hit. But at the end of the day, we'll probably never know what actually really happened. But from a reformist perspective... There are so many things we can learn that came out of this story. First of all, we need to understand who Jamal Khashoggi was, what he believed, what he stood for. The Daily Beast, Betsy Woodruff, wrote a piece that he was disappeared. Why? Because he stood for Arab democracy, because he formed an organization that was called D-A-W-N that looked at free expression and the beginning of uh, the 
changes in Saudi Arabia that would begin democracy now. If you ask his friends and you ask Khashoggi, he'll say they wasn't into regime change, but simply to bringing them into the 21st century. That's the quotes that came out. But at the end of the day, I have to tell you, as I look at this anal analytically, why would the Saudis take a chance on the exposure that they got now, the relationship they have with America? Even the Senate is calling for action. And why is everybody acting like this now? I have to tell you, as, as an activist myself, as somebody who was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, who went three times to Saudi Arabia begging them to release even more courageous reformers like Raif Bedoui, like his attorney, Walid Abu Khair, like so many. They assassinated four imams. Daniel Pipes pointed out this week, he said, he said it doesn't make any sense other than the fact that this guy was a columnist with the Washington Post, why so much attention was paid to him, and yet Imam Nimr al-Nimr, who was even more an Islamist, but was in Saudi Arabia living there, never worked for the Washington Post. So this one hit down at the establishment in Washington with somebody who they considered their own and connected to the Islamist and the leftist network in America. And he was based out of Washington, out of the swamp. So, when we come back, I want to talk to you about why this matters. Now, the natural response of many people is going to be, oh, he's dead. His, his family will never see him again. How can you be so critical of what he stood for? I am in no way endorsing the actions of a Wahhabist tyranny. We, we went and asked for the release of imams that, as others have pointed out, were more Islamist than Mr. Khashoggi. They didn't call for democracy. They simply called for free speech, for religious liberty. And we went and asked for their release, and the Saudis ended up assassinating them. Not assassinating them, executing them. After a, a, a Wahhabist militant trial. That's the way their government operates. But if you wonder why the voices of Islam and moderation and reform are not heard, because Rafe Bedoui wanted secular democracy, wrote, formed an organization, Saudis for Freedom. Possibly he left Islam. But the bottom line is, is he was about freedom, about self-expression. And his wife could not get, even when the Canadians made a stance a few months ago, I talked to you about that, they told them to pound sand, the Saudis did, and said they will not be intimidated by a Canadian foreign minister. And in fact, they were going to start sanctions against the Canadians because of a simple comment that they made about the need to release Rafe Bedoui. So I think everything needs to be gauged. Are we really for advancing universal human rights in these countries or are we for picking and choosing? The left picks their Islamist friends in Iran during the Obama administration and now in the Saudi population that they like to make big stories out of them. And yet, the hypocrisy should matter because when they ignore the others, they lose all credibility and it becomes apparent that they're actually then allowing the Islamists to speak for all Muslims. 
And contrary to much of the reporting, as you've seen on him, his ideology does matter. When we come back, I want to talk to you about what Khashoggi's ideology was. And that ultimately, if it's going to be Saudi Arabia's strategy to assassinate these people, the Islamists, did Egypt not teach them anything? That you defeated the Brotherhood better by, by better ideas rather than by violently suppressing them for decades. But the Saudis are, again, proving over and over what we know. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about the disappearance of Jamal Khashoggi. Listen, yes, we should have a world where freedom, where liberty, where human rights exist, where the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is endorsed and followed and protected by every government on the planet. And yes, I dedicated my life to fighting against those governments, against those societies that do not give people the equal right to expression, to um, to have their voices heard, and to be able to organize, assemble, practice their faith, free, speak out, all the aspects that are part of our Bill of Rights, our First Amendment, and our Constitution here in America that we are so blessed to have that our founding fathers and our forefathers fought to defend. As we understand every battle, we need to understand the dynamics. And, you know, I saw an interaction between, you know, some of the, the, the pundits that call themselves conservative nowadays seem to have just gone off the deep end. Max Boot has been an example. It's like everything that he talks about, he looks at through the lens of anti-Trumpism. And he's no longer become somebody who you can listen to to gain knowledge, to understand somebody with an ideology that is coherent, that's predictable based on the ideas, but simply his lens is everything that happens in the Trump era must be Trump's fault, must be the White House's fault, and must therefore be tagged to Washington rather than tagged to the reality of the ideas that they represent. And he had an interaction uh, where he attacked uh, one of the folks I have a high respect for is Jordan Schachtel at Conservative Review. And I agree with many things, may disagree with some things on Jordan with Jordan. Uh, but the bottom line is, is he went ballistic after Schachtel points out that Khashoggi was no innocent guy. He was an Islamist. He, he uh, was very anti-Israel. He uh, endorsed uh, radical groups. And, and ultimately, it wasn't simply about terrorism. And I have to tell you, I'll take it further and, and tell you that, and, and Boots' response was just that this is despicable and it's even below the low and the Twitter uh, back and forth was, was absurd. And it is absurd to say that if somebody is tyrannically targeted by a regime, that if you express, I mean, we went through this in the Syrian revolution. Many people were put up as icons of liberty that truly fought for freedom in Syria, but were communists, were socialists. I said, you know, we shouldn't be working with these people, but you have to honor the fact that they were courageous and they stood up against Assad, they stood up against ISIS because... 
They were diehard communists. Assad is a tyrant, is a genocidal tyrant, but he's not a communist. So you can respect somebody's activism, but disrespect or, or criticize, if you will, their ideology. Khashoggi clearly is getting the attention that he is today because he was tight in with the Brookings crowd, the Qatar crowd, the Hazambatian of, of, in, in Northern California who's part of the BDS movement. You look at Khashoggi's Twitter feed and you see constant anti-Israel comments uh, blaming uh, the internal tyranny of the Palestinians of Hamas against their own, blaming that on Israel, blaming that on the West. And, you know, when it comes to Saudi Arabia, he talked about democracy, but actually had writings that I'm going to take you through now and talk to you about how he defended political Islam as an idea, but disagreed with the Brotherhood in its disagreed with the Brotherhood in its execution, calling them the old generation, etc. He had a piece, and he wrote for Al Arabiya. Al Arabiya is a Saudi channel, a Saudi website, a Saudi newspaper. So, the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, is Khashoggi's disappearance, possible assassination, if done by the Saudis, we don't know the truth yet. It appears, especially from their silence and lack of plausible deniability, though they have now said that they've supported a Turkish-Saudi inquiry into a detailed investigation into what exactly happened to Jamal Khashoggi. But the bottom line is, is this is just another front in the war currently between the KSA, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, especially Mohammed bin Salman, and the Muslim Brotherhood, the Islamist movement, the viral movement, that there is a war, an internecine war within Islamism between the Wahhabi corporate Islamists of the Saudi nationalist Islamists that are the petro-Islamists of Wahhabism versus the viral caliphate Islamists of the Ikhwan, of the Muslim Brotherhood. And if you look at Khashoggi wrote a piece that's still available April 26, 2016. He said, political Islam is successful in Turkey because all political leaders, secular Islamists, work within the democratic structures of a civil state that is dominant and consistent throughout the country. He said, political Islam is a model to follow in Turkey because all political leaders, secular or, or Islamist, work with the democratic structures of the civil state. Erdogan and many others were successful first in their own towns and villages and working professionally within civil structures with budgets and important projects. They did not get success through preaching. This gave Erdogan the opportunity to appear as a national leader, not a group leader, says Khashoggi in Al Arabiya. And then he said, An-Nahda in Tunisia, again, the Brotherhood in Tunisia, is a forward-looking compared to similar movements in the Middle East. In Morocco, Benkiarni did not rail against the political opponents from outside his Justice and Development Party, the Brotherhood, but against conservative sheikhs inside the Islamist movement. It's time to tell the Brotherhood he 
Khashoggi said that reform will only happen when it dismisses the first generation of its leaders living in denial and replaces them with qualified politicians who are aware of reality. So I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be of the of the fact that this is not just a guy who wanted democracy in Saudi Arabia. Daily Beast actually said he was part of Arab Spring 2.0. And nobody supported Arab Spring more than I did. I think the, the core cancer against reformers in the Middle East are these tyrannies. But there's no way you can doubt the fact that the Islamists have been poised through their organized mosque networks and and plurality of population that they have to hijack much of these revolutions against dictatorships. And that's exactly what Khashoggi was a part of. His lack of criticisms of the Palestinians and their own Islamist dominance of Hamas and his pieces that he's written, look at what he's written and the ideas that he has, and you will see that the Saudis went after an Islamist, an influential Islamist that had, if you look on Twitter, he had 1.6 million followers. And a lot of the folks he retweeted that also were part of his network were leading Western Islamists. And I'll remind you that the Saudi government put into the Ritz-Carlton little prison of theirs for four or five months as they confiscated their trillion dollars that were part of the Petro-Islamic network that was funding and fueling. Now, did this reverse what that funding did to the Brotherhood in the West? No, not yet. It's going to take a generation if, in fact, they stop it. Is bin Salman a true reformer? No, he's a, a tyrant who... His mafia family has declared war on the other viral mafia family of the Islamists, the Brotherhood. They are two corrupt entities fighting one another. And when it comes to American interests, yeah, I think obviously the Brotherhood is a bigger threat ideologically. But at the end of the day, bin Salman and his Wahhabi allies have not presented theological reform. They're simply talking about political reform women driving and other things, I still see as political reform. Yes, the religion of the Wahhabis and their interpretation is the soil upon which that's built, but I have yet to see any theologians offering or proffering the interpretation that is 21st century of equality, equality that would need to be necessary to start to have these changes. No, it's simply an edict that said they will now drive, that said now the religious police have less authority. There's no religious juristic backup for that reformation. That's Wahhabi. So ultimately, this is about power. This is about window dressing for the West. And while they also try to take away some of the viral the viral influence that the Islamists have, and they're starting to peg off some of the intellectual leaders of that, and next when we come back i want to talk to you about some of the islamists in the west and their reaction and what that tells us this is zudi jasser on reform this this is zudi jasser welcome back to the last segment this week of reform this thanks for sticking with me a lot of coverage this way I, mean, I, I i could not could not fathom that this story would be covered as much and i guess i I did not appreciate, you know, you, you never realize how much influence the Islamists have on what's covered on left media in America. 
until you see something like this happen. The, the hypocrisy is beyond belief. We have had scores of innocent people tortured inside Saudi Arabia. Things done by the Saudis that should have been outed against women, against minorities, Shia and others, that it just was covered as a brief news story, but not with the persistence that this one is. And I think it's because we underestimate the influence of young reporters, of activists, and the connection between. You see on the Daily Beast, Betsy Woodruff interviews Khalid Safori. I've talked to her before. She didn't ask me about Jamal Khashoggi. She asked Khalid Safori. Didn't ask about, didn't write about his ideas. The Washington Post, they say they said he was part of a democracy movement. Where is that? Where is the, you, you look through his writings and go to the links that are still up. Some of the links, he had a piece on the conspiracy against the Muslim Brotherhood. Link is down. The Saudis are starting to clean that up. They're they're cleaning it up because it was ideas that they feel were driving the Muslim Brotherhood movement. There's no doubt that it probably was. But this is not how you defeat it. I've said this before. The Tajikistans of the world that outlaw Salafi mosques are actually fueling them underground. The Saudis of the world might have a short-term success in stopping the flow of money to Islamist mosques, as they've done with the recent move against Talal, you know, Prince Talal uh, bin Walid or, or others, and uh, their, their Muslim Brotherhood feeding frenzy that they've had over the last 20, 30 years. So short-term, that may be helpful. It's certainly not a way to reform. Reform would be to begin to empower movements that are about liberty, freedom, and democracy, about secularism. But no, the Saudi royal family, the House of Saud's approach is for them to run the caliphate, to run the OIC out of Mecca and Medina like they do, to remain as the royal designated ones, the chosen ones to run Islam and run Mecca and the Grand Mosque. That's their plan. They've already considered themselves the heads of the caliphate. So their only threat to that identity movement is viral Islamism. And now they have a war against Iran that's brewing. A president that had to recalibrate the complete loss of the alliance, the allies that we had with the Arab countries. So they have an opportunity now to empower themselves in a more modern way, if you will, sort of Arab tyrant 2.0. Not Islamism 2.0, but Arab tyrant 2.0. And the war against the Muslim Brotherhood serves certain purposes to make it appear, as we do, they have a common enemy with us. And as I've advocated and continue to, the Muslim Brotherhood should be designated in most of the countries in which it exists as a terrorist organization. From Syria to Saudi Arabia to Kuwait to Egypt and elsewhere. But not its ideas. You will not defeat its ideas by pushing it underground. You will not defeat its ideas by martyring 
a journalist who might have had 1.6 million followers, but I really think the Saudis understand how weak their ideas are because the only way they can win is by disappearing their enemies. And I have much more faith in freedom and liberty that I believe we, silent majority so far, but sadly silent majority Muslims can defeat the Islamists through the war of ideas. That if the Shadi Hamids of Brookings would debate me, would debate me openly about the failure of Islamist ideas, of the Islamic state identity, that the, the Shadi Hamid's ideas of Islamic exceptionalism that work closely with Jamal Khashoggi, work closely with Hatem Bazian, work closely with Nihad Awad, who, by the way, take a look at my Twitter feed, Nihad Awad this week was pictured with, who? The Code Pink protest in front of the Saudi embassy in support of Jamal Khashoggi. Oh, so now Nihad Awad of the Council on American-Islamic Relations decided, oh, we're not going to take, no, 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 forget the Quran project of half a million dollars and the monies we get from Saudi and the, the fealty, the meeting he had with Rouhani and with Erdogan and with these leaders. No, no, now we are against the Saudis. Never held a sign free Rafe Bedoui. Never held a sign free Walid Abu Khair, the attorney for Rafe Bedoui who now is being tortured. Never held a sign about the four imams that were that were executed because they were Shia. They're Islamists, but they were Shia. No, they don't care about those guys. But one of their own, one of his Islamist operatives who was helping him in Arab Spring 2.0 and in their anti-Israel propaganda and in their anti-Western mindset now was disappeared. We'll find out the truth will come out about what actually happened to Jamal Khashoggi. But there is a treasure trove of education for all of you about how the media is covering this, about how some folks who are simply, if you question what Khashoggi said or what he did, that this is obviously, you have to understand that this is part of another battlefront of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia versus the Brotherhood. Once you understand that, it doesn't excuse it. This is not, it's just like Assad fighting ISIS. ISIS is, is a militant, radical organization. But if you criticize Assad and the way he does it, that doesn't make you pro-ISIS. If you criticize ISIS, that doesn't make you pro-Assad. So if I'm criticizing Khashoggi, who I believe was sort of this Islamism 3.0 variety that wanted democracy, viewed Islamic world as a majoritocracy, but didn't believe in secularism, didn't work for understanding Israel, understanding the democracy that is Israel and the and the ownership that the ownership that the Palestinians need to take, all these issues that are red flags for Islamist movements is what Khashoggi was part of. So, I have sympathy with those who see the Saudis as being unleashed. That is a problem. We need to deal with it. But I don't have sympathy with those who want to pretend that Khashoggi was part of the secular reformist movement. He was an Islamist. There's no doubt about it. I think they've popularized him 
he was moving even closer to Turkey. So he probably, you know, some of the elements of why he was disappeared may have been not only his fealty to the Brotherhood movement, but his fealty lately to Turkey seemed to have been a problem. Perhaps uh, some of his fealty to Hamas also was a problem for the Saudis. There were a number of things that were clearly making it a problem, but I do not believe it was democracy movements inside Saudi Arabia that were the bigger threat to him. I think it was a global Islamist threat that he was a part of. A lot to learn here. Every week there are opportunities for me to talk to you about front lines in the battle against Islamism, against true Muslim reformers that believe in secular democracy and liberal values. Tune in. Join me week to week. This is where we'll cover it. Yours faithfully. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. God bless you.